Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical martial arts instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. The episode show notes are at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. My newsletter goes out every week with updates about the podcast, my works in progress, and all sorts of cool sword stuff. You can unsubscribe at any time and there's never any spam. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank the people who make it possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes time and money to run a podcast, and without them, I'd have quit long ago. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the sword guy for behind the scenes content to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. I'd also like to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. And finally, as a sword person, let me invite you to my online community, swordpeople.com, where you can interact with all sorts of people who are into historical martial arts in one way or another, without trolls, ads, algorithms, or Russian sex bots getting in the way. It's built on the Mighty Networks platform, which means we are paying for hosting and the use of their software, servers, and tech support, so we are the customers. We are not handing over our data to be sold to commercial interests, and so there is no incentive for algorithm-driven fear-mongering to maximize time on the platform. It's as pure as social media can be. There are four levels of membership. Free, this gives you access to the main discussion areas and events, etc. Or, at £5 a month, you can join Support Sword People, which gives you access to all of the above, plus the satisfaction of helping to support the platform, and access to live streams and my train-along sessions. Then there's the Solo Scholars at £20 a month, which gives you access to all of the above, plus all of my online courses that can be done alone, which are solo training, footwork, breathing, meditation, and recreating historical swordsmanship from historical sources. And finally, there is the Mastering the Art of Arms level at £40 a month, which gives you access to all of the above, plus all of my online courses, such as the Complete Longsword Course, Complete Rapier, Medieval Sword and Buckler, and How to Teach. There are no paid ads, no paid promotions, nothing like that, which means we are entirely dependent on the users of the platform to pay for it, so if you're thinking about joining, please do consider one of the paid options. So, if you'd like to join us and think you can behave yourself like a reasonable adult, because the code of conduct is absolute and enforced with an iron hand, which is why it's such a nice place to spend time, go to swordpeople.com and click Request to Join. It's fast, easy, and straightforward. You can get Sword People on your phone or other device by downloading the Mighty Networks app and signing in. Now, without further ado, on with the interview. I'm here today with Gretchen Settle, who models, sword fights, and makes stuff. You can tell when I grab stuff off the, <laughs> off the internet, can't you? All right. She is getting back into training after giving birth to, I must say, an incredibly adorable young sword person who looks very good with her little sword. So <laughs> without further ado, Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. I'm glad to be here. So um, whereabouts in the world are you? So I am located on the East Coast in uh, Maryland. So uh, that nice little 
marshy Baltimore area of snow and uh, that we've not received. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've, I've only ever been there in the summer and it's miserable. Well, you know, it's the place of many seasons. I actually um, originally came from Louisiana. So, oh, God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I came from like the swampy, rainy, and then rainy er season. Um, it's just the same hot all the way through. <laughs> and then when we moved up to Maryland, um, that was my first experience with seasons. And it turned out we chose correctly because Maryland has, in fact, all of the seasons. And then, um, you know, it switches it up. The Sometimes you have spring and then summer and then spring again and then fake summer and then surprise winter. Um, <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah, and and you're quite close to Washington D.C. with like the Smithsonian Museum and whatnot, so you're quite well suited, well situated. All for the that things, sort of thing. yeah, all the things are around here. Uh, driving distance, so that's nice. Excellent. Or metro distance. Yeah. So, um, how did you get into historical martial arts? Um, well, that's actually really funny and kind of related to the modeling bit as well. Um, I have a friend from high school who is a photographer, who is the uh, person who originally asked me to start modeling for them. And they found the, um, you know, I guess advertisement on Facebook for uh, MKDF. And they're like, hey, this sounds something like you're a nerd. Um, the Venn diagram of jock nerd is right there for you. That sounds like something that you would really enjoy. And let's do it together. And then they immediately left to go live in New York City. And ah. <laughs> I was there by myself. But I did it anyway. Um, I think it's really important to do things by yourself. And uh, I showed up and... Um, the instructor at the time um, was Jessica um, Rozick, and she immediately okay. could tell that I used to do, like, dance and theater, which was hilarious. Um, she was like, you make everything pretty. Stop stop being pretty. <laughs> Break yourself. Um, <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, I have a whimsical and romantic personality, and... I loved the fact that it felt like I was uh, becoming part of history. I, you know, I am an English major. I, I read lots of fantasy books. Like every other, I feel like Hema person is like Lord of the Rings, like, you know, and um, tons of things like that. And to me, it was just such an interesting way to like fully immerse yourself in it, and from a history perspective, from a from a fantasy perspective, from you know the physicality of it. Because I was always into you know I was a horseback rider, I was someone into hiking. I was it kind of just mushed everything that I loved mm. together into something completely different that I had never experienced before and whether or not I was good at it I was gonna stay doing it um <laughs> and kind of just you know keep falling in love with it bit by bit and then I met my husband and it through it and fell in love with it even more oh, okay so you actually yeah. met, met the person you married at sword class yes um <laughs> so Excellent. um it, it became you know very just tied to my life in really weird mm. and strange ways um and uh just absolutely 
just absolutely in love with everything everything about it the idea of being able to immerse yourself that deeply in uh in history is just mm. so fun to me um and <laughs> so so your uh, is is m m k d f is a maryland kunst effective yes that, right yeah okay. that's my club mm-hmm. yeah so you're doing mostly longsword Mostly longsword, yes. Um, So I've done Ringen. Um, I actually am probably a little bit better at Ringen than longsword, strangely enough. Um, I was able to, the last long point ever, um, I mean, hopefully not, but mm, (laughs) um, as of now, the last, yeah, um, I was able to place third in the featherweights um, for Ringen. So um, well yeah, I was excited. I was like, yes, finally, I've, I've found, um, something. Uh, and then I, on my own, um, have been looking a lot into Ross Fecton because as oh. I mentioned previously, I'm into horseback riding and, um, you know, never the time, never the money, but I spent about, oh, eight, eight, maybe more, um, years of my life, um, as a stable hand. Um, right. growing up and okay. I, I worked on a farm and, um, just, it's, uh, kind of just another way to layer all of those interests together. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, when it comes to mounted combat, mm-hmm. um, see, I, the people I know who do mounted combat, none of them are in your area. They're all no. like, like, no, like there's this. no one. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It's just me holding a candle. Um, So I have um, attended one of uh, kind of like the lecture type of writing. Um, They had like a four day event in uh, Pennsylvania. So I attended that and that was great. Um, Remember what it was called? Oh, no. And it was so many years ago. Um, Okay. But... uh, that was, you know, really fun. And I remember I was just, I was plopped on a one-eyed quarter horse, uh, okay. which was delightful and supremely unfair because everyone else had gated horses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, okay. For, for, for the benefit of the people who don't know much about horses who may be listening, what's the difference between a, a quarter horse and a gated horse? Okay. So a quarter horse is just, you know, a, a breed of horse, a very popular breed of horse. They're kind of like the golden retrievers of horses. Um, they're very beginner friendly. They're very, um, you know, willing to work. And mm-hmm. um, they have your standard gates, right? Um, walk, trot, canter. Um, and a lot of people find trotting to be um, very jiggly. Can, can I just say, trotting for a bloke is a testicle-crushing <laughs> experience. Yes, unless you're posting properly, right? But even if you're doing it properly, <laughs> even if you're doing it properly, because when I was learning to ride many, many, many moons ago, I was being taught by my girlfriend and my girlfriend's mum, and I was being taught on a Grand Prix-level dressage horse. So there was nothing wrong with the horse. But that horse had the least comfortable trot in the world. And anyway, well, and so I, mean, I was... That depends on breeding. That depends on the breed of yeah. the horse, if they're gated or ungated. And but I was doing I was doing what you call the posting trot, where, where yes. you, you rise up and sit down, rise up and sit down. And I was doing it correctly. And mm-hmm. every now and then, I would sit on my nuts to no good effect, right? <laughs> well, you know, there's and, several types of, of posting. They should have switched it up on you. No, 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 no. We went and we found a male instructor, because, of course, you know, the ladies couldn't advise oh, yes, because yes, they never experienced this, mm-hmm. right? So we went and found a male instructor who had a look, and, and he was like, okay, yes, it happens, and after a while, it just stops happening. 
you're not doing anything wrong. You just have to get through it. So I was like, okay. And eventually I did. And, and now I don't sit on my nuts anymore when I when I do what we call a rising trot over this side oh, of the pond. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But, but yeah, there's... <laughs> sorry, you were saying, so the difference between a quarter horse... A quarter horse has a standard gauge walk, trot, um, well, yes. canter, and um, gallop. Okay. So it's a much more jiggly. And then the gated horses, and they specifically had Tennessee walkers. Um, so they don't have what's... Um, yeah, they have different gates instead of the trot per se. Oh, so, okay. And the the biggest difference is it's how their you know their feet are landing in that beat yeah. that's being made, and um, it just creates you know to try to keep it simple, um, it just creates a difference in the amount of bounce that you're going to have on that horse. So something like a. Uh, you know, we had the Tennessee Walkers, but I think the biggest example I try to give people of like the gated horse is the Paso Fino. And if you, you know, look up online real quick, you'll see tons of gifs and video of the, um, cause they're a variegated horse. <laughs> you know, their little legs going very, very quickly, boop, 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 boop. And but they're flapping back. from side to side. <laughs> no. Yeah. And then the the back of the horse, though, is very, very steady, right? Because mm. they were bred for um, for comfort, for pleasure, for nobility. for right. And um, so, yes, everyone else had, had Tennessee walkers. And because I knew how to post, um, and it was we were there a little bit later, so they were like, who has the most horse experience? And um, I got the one-eyed quarter horse, which was great. He was fantastic and wonderful, and his name was Chance. I can't remember the name of the actual event but I remember the name of the horse. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, um, it was a fantastic time. Um, and so I decided to come back and to ask the barn that I had worked at if I could, uh, as, as uncrazily as I could sound, if I could bring swords with me to my mm. lessons, because I grew up, um, I grew up riding, but I grew up riding Western and I grew up in Louisiana, you know, rodeo and stuff is big. And my grandparents had horses and they just put us on the horse and now you ride a horse, right? Yeah. There, there's no, there's no instruction. Um, and then we moved to Maryland, which does have an equestrian scene, but, um, it's, not the most accessible. Um, it's more. It's more English. It's more English. Yes. yes. And uh, you know, so my mom plopped me at the barn, and I, I worked there. And when I was done cleaning twenty stalls, I could go out and I could ride. Um, but there was there was no formal instruction. So as an adult, I've reached back out to them, and I was like, hey. You know, I'd really love to to formally learn how to ride, and if you would be so kind as to trust me to incorporate, uh, you know, mounted combat and weaponry. Here, look, there's a cool book that ha yeah. <laughs> um, would that, you know, be the not craziest thing to ask? And it turned out that the barn manager, who is actually who my, my daughter's named after, um, she immediately was like, you know what, weirdest thing, I have pictures of me uh, doing saber on horseback. Wow. Because, um, yeah, so it, it's not Hema, it's not Rospect, it was a, a separate... No kind of thing but she actually had taken some lessons and she was like that's amazing i used to be able to go at like a full gallop and hitting um hay targets so anything you want to do at the barn if you would like to um you know store build some targets and store them there that kind of stuff um Blimey. 
you would be more than welcome to. So, um, yeah, we've been, uh, kind of, kind of working on it. I'm a perfectionist, so I'm, I don't feel comfortable, you know, really going out and instructing people. I don't feel like I am the, the person for that. I feel like it should be a, um, a mix between, uh, actual horseback riding instructors and swords people kind of coming together because I feel that when you get people on thousand plus pound animals with weaponry, it should be as safely as possible. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been kind of fun. I got some of my club mates involved and we've been trying to find, uh, days where we can all go up together and take lessons and kind of bring the sabers and, so you're um, basically starting a mounted combat club. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, yes, I, um, kind of. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm. I have a. I have a, an idea for you. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. You, you obviously have a a little bit of imposter syndrome going on, and you couldn't possibly be the the instructor for the mounted combat club. Right? Okay. But what you could be, what you can be, and what you clearly are, is the facilitator. Yes, I. That's what I tell people. I say I, I right. enable things. I'm very good at right. chatting with people, and I'm very good at making friends. And I, you know, I told the the club head whenever I was trying to gather an interest. I said, you know, I can't. I, I don't feel like I am the the best person for the job when it comes to you know feeling like I am instructor worthy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I am very confident in my ability to make friends, and so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is a superpower, by the way. Um, yeah. So yeah, I try. I try to bring that. I said, if there's anything that I could give to our club, it will. It would be my ability to um, feel completely unembarrassed to go up to people and say, "Hey, what is it you do? Uh, you know, is it something that you feel comfortable teaching? Is this, you know, what's over here? I have a different friend who came up to me and was like, "Hey." I have a uh, connection at a winery that may or may not be interested in tournaments. Um, can you be a contact okay. for that? And I was like, that's really cool and weird. Yeah, they're called Fiore Winery. So, of course, every, yeah. obviously, everyone was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've just kind of been uh, making friends and, and taking notes and trying to trying to see how uh, how I could push all those passions and friendships and HEMA into creating more and more interesting things. Um, maybe they'll work out. Maybe in a couple of years, you'll, you'll see me stabbing things on horseback and uh, <laughs> not being embarrassed to post up videos and pictures. <laughs> okay. Speak, speaking of videos and pictures, um, uh, you do some modeling. Yeah. Uh, the, the picture from your, from your Instagram that I'm thinking of is the one with the helmet. Oh, the one that absolutely oh you're gonna you're gonna send a bunch of people to my Instagram, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well anyway, so um, so 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 tell us tell us a bit about the modeling and how it started and how it's going and, and what's the deal with the helmet. Oh yes, okay. So um and that's specifically the one I think I have titled Bloss Vectin, isn't it? Um as armor. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, armor. I'm holding on. Yeah. So, um, I, as I said, the the person who got me into HEMA is the same person who got me into modeling. Um, 
so fun coincidence. Um, but I happen to just get to know, uh, I'm an artsy person. Um, I've been in tons of art classes in college and whatnot. I like creating things, um, anything at, at all, uh, painting, uh, modeling, acting, any, anything I can get my hands on that is creative writing. Um, and with modeling, um, I, I guess kind of the same way I am with Hema. I was like, I don't know if I'm the right person for the job, but here I am and it's an opportunity and it's really, it sounds really fun and I did it and then I started getting more jobs. Um, and it's, it's almost, it's really hilarious to me because it's with a bunch of different indie brands on the East Coast um, and they're all alternative fashion. And I, growing up, was not very alternative fashion. <laughs> like, my best friend is. My best friend's, like, super goth, and I have friends who are punk, and then I'm over here just, you know, um, in pink and with blonde hair. And um, they're like, no, go be, go be your, you know, go be goth in these pictures. Or more recently, um, a lot of them have had swords. Um, it's been a really big selling point to say you're comfortable with being in the outdoors and being with um, weaponry and uh, also really strange because when I first, you know, brought swords on set for some of these fan fantasy garments, because um, a lot of them are, you know, fashion chainmail is what I call it, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or fashion armor, and brought in the swords, I would pose with them, but I would pose to Hema. Yeah. Um, and so if you are on point or if your, your edge alignment is there when you're modeling, the, uh, the sword is lost in the photograph. Yeah, disappears. Yes. Um, and. So sorry, by on point, you're not talking about ballet, you're talking about the point, point, yes, the point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, all right. Um, and. So that was definitely an interesting learning experience because I was, at the beginning, I was very, um, very much like, oh, I want to make sure that, like, I, if I'm posing with swords, I, I'm doing something that is accurate and right and I have the right mm -hmm. mechanics. And then immediately on set, the photographers, can you move this this way? Can you, can you do this? <laughs> yeah, oh, you're, yeah. you're blocking your head. Your head isn't visible. And right. I'm like, oh. Um, so I guess, uh, I mean, you have a bit of experience with stage combat, yes, as well, right? mushing yeah. the two together. Um, and... But what, what, what this is reminding me of is I've done a lot of photo shoots for my various books. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do in the photo shoot is make sure everything is visible and make sure it's correct. Yes, and which it's is, miserable. Yeah, yeah making, it, making it look, making it look... Making it so that everything is visible is easy and making it so that everything is correct is easy. But making it so that they are both visible and correct it is fucking impossible. I call it the world's worst yoga. You right. are so sore after a photo shoot where you are both trying to look good on the camera and make the swords look good and make your form look good that, you know, you, and you're holding the poses and you're holding everything up for longer than you'd normally hold it up. Yeah. And the next day you're just kind of like, whew, okay, <laughs> that was more of a workout to stand there and look pretty than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so, um, so most of the work you've been doing modeling-wise is – sort of marketing photography for, for companies that make clothes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. the, the specific 
picture that you're referencing, though, is for um, a more artistic um, photographer. Um, the same photographer who got me into uh, doing modeling to begin with was like, hey, I'd like to do a few more artistic kind of fantastical elements. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, okay, sure, we can go ahead and um, do that. And I had a buddy who had armor because um, I keep – I, I'll get a little risque, but I'll keep everything PG-14. That's what I tell everyone. <laughs> that, that thing, if, you, if you're listening to this and you heard I- I- implications about that photo, and you're like, I'm going to go look this up. Uh, PG-14, sorry to crush okay, all can I, can I Can I just interject? We have had Ariel Anderson on here, who is a professional BDSM pornography model. So if if people listening want the adult stuff, they need to go to the episode I did with Ariel and go and look at her stuff. Your stuff is is a bit more, shall we say, kid friendly. A little bit more, not, you know, not all the way. There's, um, but, uh, you know, again, PG-14, that's, uh, that's how I, I tend to keep all of my photography stuff um but the specific uh picture with the armor in it it's an armor from a friend um because Mm -hmm. i didn't have any harness and i was like oh well i think it would be really cool if doing this you know uh implied photo shoot if what we kind of used for cover would be armor because um Mm. you know we had flowers on my face and um the makeup was very kind of ethereal and um everything's in the woods and i was like it'd kind of be um a little bit um kind of fairy tale esque to kind of incorporate all of these things and so i had a friend who was putting together harness and i was like hey send me lend me some pieces you know for a photo shoot um, where I'm predominantly nude. Uh, and strangely enough, he was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, why wouldn't he? I mean- yes, of, of course. Um, and it's so funny to me because that particular, um, the photos that got used in that, um, where I'm holding the, the helm, um, it's so large. It's yeah. like, it's, it's just, and I mean, it's made for him, but I'm just like, it, uh, you know, it, literally we didn't, I thought we were going to have a couple more armor pieces that we incorporated and we really didn't need them. Cause I could just, you know, curl up behind this. Yeah. You could hide this, <laughs> every, every, all, all the vital bits were hidden behind the helmet. Yeah. Yeah. And Very I was tastefully like, done. I was like, that's, uh, you know, uh, it was just like amazing to me. Like we had, and we had a whole pile of armor like off to the side. It looked, it kind of looked like I had lured a man to his death, like off camera. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I was looting everything afterwards. Um, so, so what sort of stuff, you said you make all sorts of things. Um, and again, look at going by your, your Twitter bio, you model sword fight and make stuff. What stuff do you make? Uh, you know, I think that just goes back to me being very creative and whimsical and passionate. I, I paint, um, I paint with watercolors, I paint with acrylics, mm-hmm. um, I paint with, you know, digital means as well. Um, I, I write, I've written poems and poetry and things for my, uh, college magazines and whatnot. And I'm still friends actually with a lot of my college professors, um, from, you know, the English department and uh, still try to write um, as often as I can. And then, um, you know, I've been currently acting in a few different independent movies as well. Um, All horror movies, strangely. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently I die real pretty. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) that's been the weirdest and best compliment I've ever received is you die pretty. Um, And, uh, you know... I just find it so much fun 
to be able to do all of those things. And I can incorporate Hema into a lot of those things as well. In the horror movies, I was, um, I did the smallest of little tiny pathetic stunt doubling for people <laughs> and, um, you know, got to, try to, you know, show someone how to do break falling and how to mm -hmm. incorporate a little bit of ringing into some of the fight scenes um, safely and effectively so that um, I wasn't actually going to be in harm's way. And um, it's just been... What are the movies called? Uh, so the one that's out and about and the most uh, popular at the moment is called Bloody Summer Camp. Um, it is okay. a riff on 1980s slasher films. Right. It is on Amazon. Um, bloody, bloody summer camp. Bloody okay. summer camp. Right. Yes. My my fourteen year old daughter is a big horror fan. So if she likes old eighties slashers, then that is exactly what okay. this is. Um, kind of a extra extra points if to. yeah ex, extra points if people actually get like a, a knife into their head. Well, see that uh, you know spoilers spoilers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but she might really like my character then. <laughs> However, it is rated R, so that you know That's all right. my We're... scenes. PG-14. Other scenes, definitely not so much. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll have to watch it with her then and, and, and sort of, you know, stand by with the pause button just in case. <laughs> but no, we, we tend to let our kids watch pretty much anything they like because, you know, it's... I, I watched anything I liked when I was a kid and it didn't seem to do me any harm. So, um, I, and honestly, the things that, that are really upsetting are not usually the sex or the violence. It's no. usually like the psychological horror stuff. Yes. I, when or, I was little, oh, it was never anything like that that scared me. It was always things I couldn't fight. If I couldn't figure out a way to fight it, then mm. I would be terrified. I watched Jurassic Park since I was like two years old. Favorite movie in the history of the whole world, Jurassic Park. And it never terrified me. But anything with ghosts suddenly, or like that uh, Chucky doll, that Chucky doll oh, thing. Oh, Chucky's like, horrible. Yes, I couldn't figure out how I would kill it. I was like a dinosaur, like six-year-old me, a dinosaur I could handle. Chucky, mmm, <laughs> <No>. not too. <laughs> Honestly, I would rather fight a dinosaur than Chucky. Yeah, I would too. I would, yeah. hands down. Yeah, because at least down. a dinosaur, you know, if you cut his head off, it's going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that is a trick. I mean, it's difficult to do, but at least it's, it's yeah. yeah Chuck, I saw Chucky in the cinema when it came out, and that was a mistake. Like, I, I'm, yeah. I was always too afraid as a child. I was like, no. Just, just the commercials would frighten me. I'd be like, mm-mm, mm-mm. No. <laughs> okay, so uh, the, the, the thing that sort of gave me the idea to get you onto the show is mm -hmm. that you are getting back into training after having given birth. Yes, yes. Um, my first baby. Your first baby. And isn't she adorable? She's so cute. <laughs> she she's she's so long. She's already like a third of my, my length. I'm like, oh no. Wow. So, well, her father's very tall. And so okay. <laughs> I'm like, she's going to be, you know, uh, fourth grade and taller than me. <laughs> oh, bless. Uh, yeah, so my, my kids are now, well, my eldest will turn 16 next month. And my youngest turned 14 last month. So it's been a long time since <laughs> since we had babies in the house. Um, so I'm actually, I'm actually really impressed that you managed to show up on time for this interview because, like, when the little ones around, just ah, uh, yeah, that's because her father's home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So, so firstly, um, what what did being pregnant 
and giving birth do to you as regards training? Well, you know, I was always someone who is a little bit more athletic than the majority, but not someone who is usually thought of some, thought of as like the the bodybuilder, the you know yeah. the super super athlete. Um, but I would run regularly. I would run up to five miles a day, and sometimes ten miles a day on a weekend. And I would lift weights with my brother, who is a bodybuilder, and that kind of stuff. And so I was in fairly decent shape. Um, you know, between that and HEMA and um, horseback riding, which uses more muscles than people think. And then I broke my foot. And then I sprained my knee. And then about as soon as those got healed up, I got pregnant. And I immediately um, was sick. Uh, Just no other way to kind of split that up. I was horribly sick with morning sickness all the way into my second trimester. And um, yeah, just my my wife was (laughs) was horribly sick with morning sickness from pretty much the moment she got pregnant until the baby was out with both pregnancies. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, people, you know, people kept telling me it'll be over after the first trimester, it'll be, it'll be done, it'll get better. And instead, I kept getting worse and worse. And, you know, at one point, um, my husband was at work, and I was having, you know, a miserable time of it. And I, I called, um, again, Jess, the head of our club, we're very good friends, she was a bridesmaid at my wedding. And I said, I need, you know, I need someone who's available to try to go get some you know, anything to help me, you know, stop being sick. And she came over with a, a bag of goodies from CVS and she says, um, she looks at me and she goes, oh my God, I've never seen someone actually melting. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like, it's oh. really debilitating because if, if everything makes you nauseous, you can't keep anything down. I mean, no, I, I, um, I've not experienced it myself, but I've seen it up close with my wife yeah, and it is... The way I would describe it, um, the best way I could describe it, uh, was that I felt car sick and seasick when I was just standing upright. Yeah. Um, just absolutely, uh, couldn't for the life of me, um, just move. I had to just lay down and stop moving. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, that, I mean, that kept on well into the second trimester for me. And it got to the point of where I had started losing a little bit of weight instead of gaining weight during pregnancy. And I was talking with my doctors about stronger medications to use. And at what point, um, at what point in being sick did I need to go to the ER was the last, yeah. you know, serious conversation I had had with them, um, which, I was, I was miserable. I, I had been sick for about like 10 hours when I made that phone call. And they were like, oh, we usually go for 24. And I was <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> Great. no. Um, you know, and thankfully after, once I hit the third trimester, it got so much better. But, you know, during that time I was getting blood work done and my levels were starting to um, be the smallest bit, not enough to, you know, be a worry, but the smallest bit off because my, I was actually starting to lose muscle mass. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't do, I couldn't do anything, um, without being severely fatigued. Um, thankfully I was able to, you know, have that third trimester and be able to eat food. I think I lived off of cheese and apples. (laughs) <laughs> the only okay. thing I can keep down. <laughs> Cheese and apples. There's a protein. There's a fat. There's a, a car. Uh, the sugar. Um, there's vitamins, yeah. minerals. Yeah. Yes. There's things. Um, and, you know, then I, I had her and I I didn't realize how much muscle 
mass I had before. I didn't, I think I take, I took it for granted. I didn't think that I was, I was that, you know, in shape. I I think I I felt like I was, you know, um, like you said before about imposter syndrome or anything like that. I thought maybe I wasn't doing enough. And then after I had the baby, I went back, you know, to, I, I had kind of like physical therapy, the things that I was doing, very small exercises, stuff like that. And I remember doing, Oh, I don't even think it was full squats. I think it was five like half squats. Yeah. And my legs just shaking. Yeah. Because I had absolutely nothing um yeah. that I had previously. You basically lost all your conditioning. Yes. Down yeah. I mean and you know, I was never someone who could easily bulk up top. I never had, you know, a good time of, um, you know, gaining muscle in my arms or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And which I feel like a lot of women kind of struggle to to gain muscle in those areas. But I went back to weightlift for the first time after having a baby with some of my friends and my club mates. And I, you know, kept having to take weight off the bar and take weight off the bar and take weight off the bar until finally I was trying to do it like a chest press with just the bar the bar, yeah. and I was shaking. Oh God. Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, they were like, it's okay, you're back, woo. And I was just like, this is so, um, you know, overwhelming in a different aspect because I was very comfortable with my body in terms of gaining weight or losing weight, but I wasn't prepared mentally to lose strength. Yeah. Um, I was completely unprepared for that. And uh, it's been very interesting and kind of, you know, a little bit challenging um, to not be down on myself in terms of trying to get back to a level of strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and body composition is so different. It feels so weird. I'm, um, you know, like your balance is different whenever you have a different musculature and body composition. Sure. And also maybe like eight kilos of mass left suddenly on one particular day. Yes. <laughs> that, that is going to affect your balance a bit. Um, yeah, like, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's kind of puts you all the way back at being a beginner, but you know what? I think that almost helps take the edge off. Okay. Um, I, I think being put back, it's like a blank slate is what it feels like. Like a, like a renewal, like I could just go back in there. You know, I, I wasn't between getting injured and then getting pregnant and then every, all of that happening. I, I wasn't at where I wanted to be in HEMA, you know, mm-hmm. leading up to that. And then this momentous, momentous occasion kind of happens and it sets me back down to zero. And now it's kind of like, all right, well, let's go. Let's do it. Why not? Yeah. And, and <laughs> thing is, you have all the excuses in the world now yeah it's right? great so so <laughs> no one can come after me no one can be like right. you suck i so, have a baby <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, if you if you approach it this way it, it will get rid of the fear of failure that can otherwise uh-huh. be holding you back yeah, yeah. and i think that's you know something i i struggle with in all aspects of what i do is maybe not the feel of failure so much but this this need this all or nothing need of trying to be um having this perfectionistic like quality and i think i come off as very unserious to a lot of people because i do have so much fun in everything that i do and i do love everything so much um and you know i think people when you come from you know that side that kind of almost whimsical nature of of things people tend to discredit it as not being quite as serious about the stuff but uh i am and i uh you know have this horrible 
burning need to make sure that I'm not only, you know, proficient in what I do, but good at it. And that I'm doing it to the best of my capabilities. Um, okay. Whatever, whatever the best is. I, I don't know. Um, I'll never know. I won't know till I'm dead. That was my best. That's going to be so, my grave. On my grave. That was my best. That- <laughs> so what, what's Good been run. the most, most helpful to you in recovering and getting back into things? You know, um, I think in recovery, the, and, and I'm just so thankful to everyone around me for it. The, the thing that has helped the most is having a husband who is supportive. Um, having a husband who took off paternity leave. It's dumb luck, support, and good genetics. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's okay. literally so we, it. We, we, we can't do anything about the dumb luck, and we can't mm-hmm. do anything about the genetics. But the, um, support, the support is something that we can affect. So Yes. So what are, what are the, I mean, okay, I did my best to, to, to be the supportive <laughs> husband. And, you know, I have, I once calculated that I've probably changed about 8,000 nappies in my life. So I'm, yeah. I'm a properly hands-on, you know, <laughs> my wife could go away for a weekend with her friends and I'd have the babies and all of her, her friends would check in with me like, Guys, everything all right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we had tons of yeah. people worried about it. I had so many people like, who would ask me, is he going to be okay? Like, and I was they, like, he's, he's a full He's the parent. Person. He's an adult and yes, a parent. He's, he's not a child. He's, you know, he's a full yeah. person. Um, it's, it's kind of that double standard with men, you know. Yeah. And I had a lot of people who didn't realize that he was going to get paternity leave because in right. America, that's kind of a, a toss-up if you're going right, to have... Right, okay. Um, yeah, I, I have my kids in Finland where... Maternity leave. I mean, the thing is, though, I work for myself, so the only person who could deny me paternity leave would be me. Um, <laughs> but so that was never really an issue. And yeah, I took off a lot of time for the, for various reasons with the kids. But yeah, I had um, I had twelve weeks of leave, and then he had that's four not weeks. a lot. No, no, it's oh, not. Oh god. Um, and so you know, those first four weeks, him being able to stay home and really help out, so that I. I truly got to to rest and yeah. to sleep and to recover. I think that's really what set us up for success. And then on top of that, you know, everyone that, you know, I'm friends with um, was really, really great about asking what I needed and then delivering on that, right? So instead right. of just showing up or instead of, you know – assuming things or or anything like that it was a really wonderful example of everyone coming together and being like no what what do you need what would you like and i was able to say oh well i just kind of need space here or oh it'd be so great if you could bring some groceries or you know yeah. walk the dog or something something to that effect and um you know and then i have again like i said my brother's bodybuilder uh, i have other friends that are very athletic and sporty and um i think during my pregnancy when i was still super super duper confident that i was going to be able to work out the entire time like like the <laughs> um i had reached out you know to Jess Finley and asked you know her for advice on staying mm-hmm. active um before i got slammed with all the sickness um and, uh, but, you know, I, I got to have all of that so that I was able to fully understand what the changes and uh, what changes in my body were happening, how to most effectively utilize my body during pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and how to, you know, take care of myself and pace myself. 
um, in a way that was going to make sure that I did not injure myself further or um, make sure that I was, you know, doing everything to allow for the recovery. Um, because, you know, your, your abdominals are completely completely you, you can't bend i didn't know i didn't really like it makes sense you can't bend but i didn't realize how much not bending was going to be a thing <laughs> um and then you know you have the baby suddenly you can bend again uh and it's like oh wow i can touch my toes um and you know having all of that i think is really what what gave me kind of the best most positive experience mm-hmm. in coming back. And even, I mean, even now the club's always like, well, oh, when are you going to come back to club? When are you going to do this? Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, oh, it depends on childcare. They're like, oh, bring the club. We'll pass the baby to whomever, you know, you fight, yeah. we'll hold the baby. It's fine. It's a done deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that kind of support and um, just familial bond with everyone is really what makes it seem like a tangible goal. Um, right. it, it doesn't seem outlandish to want to get back into everything when so you have you, so many people. Yeah, are you currently sort of training with sores regularly? Um, so I've done a little bit at home. I've tried to start getting into um, doing like drills and stuff mm-hmm. like that whenever the weather's not completely awful because our ceilings aren't quite high enough. Yeah. Um, and then the next goal is to really get back to going to the club now that the baby's a little bit older and we can um, – you know, she's four months old now, so mm-hmm. we don't have to worry um, quite so much about outdoor cooties um, and trying to figure out the best way to get childcare so that we can get back into the swing of things. Um, pun unintended, pun intended. Mm. Who, you know, but like if, if you both if you both go to the same sword class, if yes. you both go, you know. One of you can hold the baby while the other one trains. Exactly, and, vice and versa. I mean, and, and I was, I've, I've had I've had. Uh, parents doing that in my classes and what always happens is I come over and I take the baby and I let the car look <laughs> after itself because I, I, I'm, I'm nuts for babies like they're just yes like, like it's, it's, it's it's holding a baby particularly when they're really little I, I've never injected heroin into the base of my skull but I imagine that's what it would feel like <laughs> and you know the best bit is now she's starting to do that little baby laugh like the uninhibited belly laugh baby laugh kind of chuckle and to me like that's what that does to me it's just (laughs) so unabashed so just um everything they have is in that little chuckle and i'm like i wish i could laugh like that again (laughs) what will it take um but yes that's our plan um is to you know be able to Kind of just pass her back and forth like a little baby hot potato, little baby yeah. came a hot potato, and be able to really. I keep telling my husband, I'm like, choose tournaments because once you know, once you sign up for a tournament, that's it, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's on the calendar, and um, it kind of gives you a little bit of of structure. And wow, you're you're in Maryland, right? Yeah. So you should be coming to Lord Baltimore's Challenge in July. Um, I, I can, um, I did, I actually did want, uh, the last time I was there, um, it was, uh, very hilarious because I do not fight with a rapier. Okay. I have done very little with rapier. I've, I've fought in heels whenever I was playing around with, <laughs> okay. um, other people who knew what they were doing. Um, and I got there and they were short a person and they were like, Hey, we need a body in order to make pools run smoothly. 
um, you're a body. <laughs> okay. And then I kind of got voluntold to fight, and I fought against people who were wildly wonderful um, fencers. Um, Joe Lilly, I think. Uh, yeah, he was in my pool. Um, and that was um, the first time I had ever actually fought with a rapier um, with no rapier. <laughs> <laughs> I just well. I was like, this is fine it's swords good. are swords okay yeah the, the pointy yeah. end goes the pointy end goes yeah one and, way. and and you, you you defend yourself with your blade and you poke him with your blade exactly. and that's yes that. cliff Not notes just... that's all you need that's it that's it and so i they were like are you going to be able to do this mm. and i was like well i wasn't told to win i was still <laughs> and i will i will give it my mm. all and i did and you know it was actually i think one of the coolest experiences going in to something like that with having no real knowledge previous to how to use that weapon okay. because I started off with just just complete and everyone in that pool was fantastic they were so generous with with advice and with mm-hmm. you know um they still completely demolished me but they were great about it um and they you know gave me tips and advice and spoke to me as I was doing things and the amount of stuff you know watching the improve I wish I'd had someone just video the entire thing from start to end because started off just absolutely nothing and then at the very end I was actually you know kind of grasping some of them, some of the techniques some of the you know I was parrying mm. I was you know, try making things work and actually manage to score points. And it was just this really cool kind of metamorphosis over the course of one tiny pool uh, um, in this tournament. And So you're not um, totally slaughtered, but oh, absolutely, it was fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I loved it. Um, right, there you go. <laughs> story of my life with like half of my behemoth. There's, you know, sometimes I feel like in Hema, you have to have a good a good butt, butt kicking. Whether it's you kicking mm. butt or your butt being kicked, um, I feel like it has to happen sometimes. <laughs> and it is such a good learning experience, though, with all of these wonderful fences. If, if it's done in the right environment, yes. Yes, yes. Um, and you know what? It, honestly, it totally was. And I, I was just so... Um, so proud of from from nothing to being able to actually get a point on someone that was, that was awesome. <laughs> <Well done>. uh, <laughs> and um, you know, it was just it was just super fun. And um, so yeah, Lord Baltimore's challenge that's that that would be a um, a good one to go up to. And um, absolutely, husband is better with rapier than I am. Uh, that's that's more of his thing. He's he's done. He's done a bit. Well, uh, I'm. I'm- <laughs> I'm signed up to be there this July, so. Oh, good. Well, yeah, yeah. so we have to go. So that we and, can only meet and bring the baby. And, and bring the baby. Yeah, yes. yeah. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about you you and your husband. It's like, no, no, bring the baby. So no, no, we'll, baby bring there, we'll bring Holly. We'll bring Holly. She has her little tiny sword, her tiny sword toy she was yeah. gifted from the club. She can go up there. Fantastic. <laughs> get that, get that dose. Get that dose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, I don't normally discuss my guests' underwear on the show. <laughs> I just, let me just get that out there to start with. Mm-hmm. But but one of the one of the pleasures of running a podcast is sort of looking through my guests' sort of published stuff and oh, doing yeah. a bit of research. And I came across a picture of a garter. <laughs> Would you care to tell us the story of the garter? Oh my goodness. Okay, so um, Travis and I got married um, after, you know, we had been together for, oh, almost as long as I'd been in HEMA. We started dating about a year after I was in HEMA, and um, 
Travis, Travis Mayotte. Um, some people would probably recognize his name. <laughs> and, you know, we got together and then we eventually decided to get married. And uh, the pandemic was in full force. Um, so we couldn't really do, you know, we wouldn't have wanted to do a big wedding anyways, but it um, definitely couldn't invite everyone that we wanted to invite because of that. Um, and uh, to be honest, we were probably one step out the door from just eloping. Um, <laughs> people should be just happy there was a physical wedding. <laughs> um, but in a, I don't know, I don't quite know wedding traditions where you're from or if they do a garter toss. Um, it sounds Not to me. It sounds like a very an American thing. Um, I, I've 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 caught two garters in my time, but only only from American brides. Yeah, that. So I at first wasn't really going to do a garter toss. I, um, you know, we're not super traditional, and I was like, oh yeah, what? You know, um, we don't need to do it. There's a bunch of like little Louisiana traditions that I ended up nixing because there just wasn't enough people from that culture to really make, make it make it sense. Yeah. Um, and then. I got a really cheeky idea uh, <laughs> that I hadn't given my my husband uh, a wedding gift, and I um, thought it would be kind of really funny if during the garter toss, without his knowledge, I hid a knife um, on my thigh in a garter. And the, you know, as a, as a gift, not, and I kind of, you know, um, started thinking about different, this is before I bought the dress, and I started thinking of different knives that would be uh, fun. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I could get him like a parrying dagger for um, rapier. But then I was like, oh, he never utilizes it when he fights anyway. So that's not his style. And, then, and, and it's going to take up a lot of space on your leg. Exactly. Um, and then I was like, maybe a rondel or dirt or just trying to think of like HEMA related things um, since that's how we met. And I thought it'd be very cute. And then I bought the dress and the dress was very tight. And I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to be hiding any of that under the dress. And so I found this lovely little tiny knife um, that I think is only about three inches long. It's very tiny. And it had Damascus steel and it was just very cute. And um, the, you know, tiny little scabbard that came with it was his favorite color, cobalt, um, cobalt blue. And I had the, the guy who forged it, the blacksmith, who was very convinced because he was not American and had no idea why I wanted to hide a knife under a dress for my husband. <laughs> um, like English was also not his first language. So I was trying to explain this and he was just like, this is, he is marrying someone very interesting. Um, <laughs> Where's the smith from? Um, oh goodness, I think he was from the Ukraine, I believe. Okay. This, you know, uh, and so he, um, I found him on Etsy, you know, just, uh, sure. and I had him put all my love on the tiny little blue scabbard, um, and it barely fit. Um, yep. but he made it work. Um, and he was like, is this a promise or is this a threat? Like, what is, <laughs> what is good? And I was like, yes, um, it's, <laughs> And so I spoke to one of the designers I had worked with because I was like, well, I could just put this on a normal garter, but you know, no. while we're out here, um, let's, uh, let's have fun. And so I spoke to one of the designers that does a lot of fashion armor uh, pieces. Um, her name, uh, her line is called It Is Known. And she does a lot of scale mail, a lot of um, chain mail fashion, a lot, a lot, tons of, you know, um, fashion pieces that are just done. So Renfair kind of stuff. Yes, Renfair yeah. kind of things. 
And I reached out to her and I said, listen, I want to have a garter made out of chainmail to hold up a dagger that is going to be hidden under my wedding dress that has to be able to get on and off easily because during the ceremony, I can't have it on my leg because I don't know how well it's going to be hidden. Ah. And then very quickly after the ceremony, before the garter toss, we're go- me and the photographer are going to sneak away, slap it on, come back out and surprise my husband. And she did. She was super on board with it. She was like, this is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Please get pictures. We did. They're wonderful. Travis's face in them is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Um, and she made this very beautiful chain mail um, made to measurements garter that um, supported the weight of the tiny little dagger perfectly. Um, when it was time, me and the photographer snuck out, put it on the leg, and the dress hit it perfectly. I, you cannot tell in some of these pictures that I have a dagger with that, you know, it's a very form-fitting dress that you you can't tell I have a tiny little three-inch blade on my leg at all. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, you can hide so many things. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, that's so cool. How many other weapons can I hide in a tight dress? Um, And so... You know, I I had a separate garter because I knew with all the HEMA people there that as soon as he pulled a, a blade um, from out from my skirt um, for a garter, they'd be like, oh, do we get to keep the blade if he's tossing that? <laughs> um, so I had a separate one that had a little dagger charm on it for tossing. Oh, and that's then, nice. Yeah. And then... Um, Who caught it? Up. Oh, goodness. I think I think it was his one of his groomsmen okay. who caught it. I think it was his buddy who actually did recently get married this year. So you oh, know, it okay, they good. say, yeah. Um, but it was it was quite funny. I was I was cracking up, and you know he had no idea. He touched the chainmail first. I was like, what and the hell? He, yes, it was great. He, he his his eyes like but he was like, what is going on under there? <laughs> um, he he told me like he was like, I don't know what you were like. I didn't know what it was supposed to be at first because I wasn't expecting to feel chain mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I couldn't keep a straight face. I was, I was chuckling. I, I was laughing too hard. Excellent. So yeah, interesting, interesting choice of underwear. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Chain mail garter with a, with a little dagger on it, which is a present for your husband. Okay. You need to send me some pictures so that we can stick them in the show notes. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> a, a surprising number of my uh, listeners, they don't do Facebook or, or Instagram or any of that sort of stuff. So we'll need to actually put the pictures in the show notes. So, oh, yeah. Anything yeah, anything that's on over. my um, Instagram, anything that's on my Twitter is all very public facing. And so you can pull whatever I just you download need. It. Okay, yes, brilliant. straight from there, Excellent. whatever you need. Um, if I've put it out on the internet specifically – you know, in a professional sense of being out on the internet, uh, yeah. there it goes. There, there okay. it lives. Um, all right. So I have a couple of questions that I ask all of my guests towards the end or mm-hmm. all of my guests who consent to those particular questions. Some people duck them for one reason or another. Um, what is the best idea you haven't acted on yet? Uh, in what context? Whatever Just context in general, like. in life? Whatever oh, context. How you yeah. interpret the question is as interesting to me as the answer. <laughs> um. You know, I think there is, I think there's a ton of them that I, 
Uh, again, I think my, my biggest issue, my biggest problem is I hold myself back all the time because I, I have this need of everything being just so and just perfect before I act on anything, um, as well as, you know, time and money. Every Everything, I always have either enough time or I have enough money. I never have both at the same time. That's um, <laughs> And uh, currently, um, I've been finding myself with more and more um, opportunities amongst, um, you know, other creative individuals uh, to be able to do more and more creative things. And I uh, ask myself what to do with that. Um, and so I have, um, definitely, you know, in the HEMA sense, I have a couple friends that I've, um, spoken to and talked with about if there was anything that they, you know, would put together in videos and things like that, um, that I could, you know, help them get started or put together, what would we do? Um, and so there's been a little bit of a uh, talk about that and then, um, a little bit, you know, more on I would love, 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 love to have all of the time and money in the world to put together an accessible Ross Fecton uh, program uh, on the East Coast. If I, so if, if I could do that, I was thinking when when I, when I asked you that question, I thought we're probably going to head towards probably. the mounted <laughs> combat. Um, you know, it's it's so hard to find find stuff like that that's accessible to people. And it's not something that you can do in a one-and-done lecture. It's not something yeah. you can learn in a weekend. Um, not not truly and not safely anyways. And so, um, but, you know, horses are expensive. Learning to ride horses are expensive. Horses in general upkeep expensive. And I have a, I have a yeah. suggestion, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm learning to fly airplanes, mm -hmm. okay? Compared to learning to ride horses, right, Okay, if you fly planes, horses are cheap. <laughs> so what you should do is you should get everybody to have a go at a no, have a go at a flying <laughs> lesson first, so that so that their their um their, their price anchoring is set at, at aviation levels, and then riding looks affordable. Well, and you know what? I've I've talked to um, I, I've got about three people consistently working with me on stuff in our club, okay. um, and you know lessons and. You know, arenas can only hold so many people. Right. Yeah, you know, it's not like we could realistically have thirty people at the same time doing anything. It's it's have to be no. very small and compact. And so, you know, getting them all together and it's in itself has been wonderful. Getting them consistently mm -hmm. going whenever we're able to. Of course, I couldn't do anything while I was pregnant. That's <laughs> put a put a pin in it. Um, but then also, there's been lots of talk about you know if I did buy a horse, would would they be comfortable you know leasing that to offset costs mm -hmm. so that we'd have more access? Would we what what would that kind of entail and then the the barn itself um what resources they're willing because you know you're going to through a third party you want to be respectful you want to make sure that you're not gonna step on any toes you want to make mm -hmm. sure insurance is good um so yeah it's just kind of trying to find the right balance with it all yeah. I, I have so much stuff i wish i i need i need an editor i need someone to to manage me to edit me and to to be like this is do, focus on that do that. So, what, what you, okay, that what you need then is a coach. Yeah, I guess so. Sure, we'll okay. go with that coach. Yeah, because because it is some some people have no idea what to do, and that's a problem. Others have so many things that they want to do. The difficulty is choosing the right one. Yes, right, and I'd say but that's I, exactly where I am. Yeah. Okay, and there are, there are 
there are coaches who can help with that. <laughs> um, and, and also like techniques for it. Like I have, um, I was recently choosing which of the four book projects I should actually just get on with. Um, and it, there was no way to choose between them f- with any kind of rational basis, mm-hmm. right? Because you can never tell how well a book is going to do anyway. And, yeah. and you can never tell how long it's going to take. Um, and there's just all these, you know, variable, variables and there's just no way to know, right? So what I, what I do is I get a pendulum. So any old weight on a, actually, this was a little pen knife on a piece of string and you take any two of them and you kind of do like an elimination round. So what you do is you, is you say it's book A or book B. Okay. Book A, if it, it is, goes clockwise and book B, it goes anti-clockwise. So you hold the pendulum. So it's still and you close your eyes and you, think about those two projects and trying to choose between them. And eventually the pendulum will start swinging in a circle and that gives you your answer, right? I'm going to try so then, that. So then you do the next, the next two and then then they trade off against each other and eventually you get a winner. It's just like running pools and running eliminations in a yeah. in a tournament. And yeah, so that's, that's how I chose the book I'm currently working on, which is not the book I would probably have chosen if I just thought about it. But it seems seems to be working. So I gotta try that. I gotta try that. Narrow it all down. Find my focus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and and it's useful to be able to just the skill of casting complicated decisions as yes no questions. Mm-hmm. That by itself is quite useful, right? Because most things in life are not yes no. There are varying varying degrees of maybes. Yeah, um, and just clarifying things down to a simple. Do I do this or do I do that? Yeah, that's that by itself is 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 part of the process of kind of narrowing it down and making the choices. So, okay, might be useful. Love that. Gotta try it. Gotta try <laughs> it. Um, okay, so we need to find you. A, we need to find you a coach. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll try the pendulum thing first, and we'll, then, try, we'll try that, and then, then and if you can't, then 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 come back to me, and we'll we'll, we'll find you a coach. Love it. Um, brilliant. Okay. My last question. Somebody gives you a million dollars or some random sum of money. Um, it's imaginary money. You can have as much as you want. Um, to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide. How would you spend it other than setting up a riding school in Maryland? <laughs> yeah, um, let's see. Oh, man. I think what I would do... And, you know, I've, I've thought a bit about this back and forth um, as I've gotten, again, more more contacts and stuff. But... Um, I can remember at one point having a conversation with um, another fighter who does a bunch of creative things about um, they wanted to kind of do like a fighting road trip kind of stuff where you go and you you learn from a bunch of different people. And now that I know more people who do um, videography and production and stuff like that, um, I kind of think it would be really fun to go and video it and try to, you know, make it where people can kind of experience things outside of their club that Mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't have experienced before and make it where it was, um, again, more accessible, more easy to, to be able to do that. And also, I guess, and some people will hate this. Don't, some people will be like, oh my gosh, no, um, he has been growing and that has been, you know, the cause of, conflict a or conflict b or whatever um but honestly i'd love to do something that kind of brought let let my let everyone shine 
let everyone mm-hmm. from different clubs and from different um, who study different techniques and different weapon systems and different time periods give them their moment to shine because I I truly love whenever I get to hear someone talk about you know something that they're currently working on mm-hmm. and they're so passionate and I think a lot of people are like oh no you know I just talk and I am a nerd and I ramble and blah 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 I love it. I absolutely am enamored with people who who are just showing how much they love HEMA. And I think if I were able to give anything back to the community, it would be using, using as you put it, my superpower. Um, that was such a nice way to put it. I had someone, um, <laughs> I had someone previously at a event say I was social energy succubus. Um, <laughs> which I, got, I got it on a t-shirt because, um, <laughs> but you know, I, if I could, if I could use any of my, you know, HEMA talents, um, Using them to showcase people and to be able to make that more reachable to a broader base. Um, I think that's exactly what this podcast amazing. is for. I know, but like in a, I <laughs> so we were doing it and it cost me nothing. See, look, um, I think that would be amazing. Um, and you know, I love, I love these kinds of things so much. Okay. I love so the fact what, that you so do. So, what would you do with it? What would I do with it? What would you spend? Um, it? I would I would use it in production. I don't know if I would spend it personally. I would use it to help other people um, be able to reach farther with their voices to to showcase how? everyone's how. Oh, that's difficult. Um, maybe do a video series. Maybe okay. do you know something? I have I have some current people I'm talking to that have the ability to put stuff up on Amazon. Um, okay. they already have all of that worked out, you know, maybe take that friend who wanted to do that road tripping thing. We go, we film it, we put it up on Amazon. People can watch it. That would be super cool. Um, again, I never know if I'm the right person for that, but I have the, I feel like I have the, um, I can talk to all the right people. How how does that help historical martial arts? Making it accessible, making other people fall in love with it as much. Uh, Okay. let me try something. Let me let me try to explain it a different way. Um, oftentimes, when I see people um, talk about historical martial arts online and in discords and on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, um, I'm being shown, um, you know, a lot of people arguing back and forth, back and forth about everything. And I'd really love to... Uh, help it in a way where it was more showcasing everyone's joy in those discussions. Does that make sense? Okay. Bring it back around to, I, I want to, I, I would want, and the way that I think that would help everything is that, um, or showcase um, martial arts more, help it grow, help it, is that when, when people truly find their passion in something, when people, you know, fall in love with martial arts, with HEMA, with the academic side of things. Um, I feel like when I watch someone do that, then they really start dedicating themselves in a completely different way to kind of unlocking all of those things in HEMA that people keep searching for, right? Everyone, Everyone's trying to interpret the text. Everyone's trying to find new text. Everyone's trying to do their best at, at tournaments. And I think that showcasing more things would inspire more people to, to do that more. Um, and I mean, that's the only thing I can think of that I can do. Okay. I, don't, I don't think that I am, you know, the best person to 
to be, you know, out there hitting the books. I don't think I'm the best person. I'm not the best fighter. I'm not the best academic. But I do so truly and wonderfully love martial arts that the only thing I could think of that would be me helping the community grow would be trying to come up with different ways to foster uh, inspiration and ingenuity and let everyone who is so good at those things shine. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to find a practical application <laughs> of that. <laughs> me too, that's my problem. Um, I don't know, I, I don't know, I, I've never, you know, the idea of using money for that, I, I don't know, fund tournaments, fund people's adventure you know fund people who have who have been looking at things from an academic sense get them get more people um the ability to read you know i see a lot of people who look at academia and they're intimidated by it and um perhaps you know trying to find a way to make that less intimidating um trying to make it where it's um you know, something people want to get more interested in. Um, <laughs> um, I don't, man, you took away my answer with the, with the Ross. Now I'm like, I don't know what I would do with a million dollars. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, okay. Okay. Seeing as sing, sing, you ask, if you like, you can spend a million dollars on your writing school. That's fine. If, if, if you prefer. <laughs> um, but maybe, maybe some of it, on like I don't know a video diary of the process and of how students come in and they train and they get better and they really enjoy it and how yeah yeah try to make it well I just want to make things as accessible as possible so that Mm. we could keep growing and keep learning and keep doing things that's yeah that's all I got (laughs) 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 I wish I could be more profound for you (laughs) that's fine Uh, Um, well well, thank you so much for joining me today Gretchen it's been lovely to meet you Yes, it's been wonderful to meet you as well. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gretchen. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you will find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. And remember to go to swordpeople.com to join the only troll-free online community for sword people. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Ian Davis, who is a historical fencing instructor at Boston Armizzare, specializing in Italian fencing from the 14th to the 16th centuries. And yes, we do geek out quite a lot about Fiore and some Bolognese stuff and various other things. So you definitely don't want to miss that. So subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help. And of course, please do share the show far and wide. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone who you think may enjoy it, that they should jolly well come and listen to this show. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next week. (laughs) 